0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. We're busy with a series on worship and uh, this is the second part. I just want to quickly see how many of you uh, were here last, uh, last Sunday. Just raise your hand very high if you were here. Okay, so I guess the rest of us were not here. Okay, so how many of you were not here? okay, so so it's always difficult between the different services so i'm I'm gonna repeat a little bit and then uh, jump straight into it as we as we're talking about worship. <clears throat> you know um how many of you let me ask with this this question, how many of you have ever you bought an apple and then sort of like you're busy eating the apple, but this apple looks so amazing, and then you take that first bite and you realize inside of the apple there's a little visitor uh, uh, called a worm, Yeah. You know? And then, um, again, how many of you have done that before, you know, or you eat a fruit and you, you're so excited about that fruit until the first, uh, you know, happening happened, you know, hop, uh, it's like that fruit. Uh I wonder mean if that you know then you get this feeling like, hey, extra protein for the day, you know. This is amazing, yeah. uh, but you sort of get a bit of a shock because the outside looks so amazing until you realize that maybe there's something inside that that's something crept in there that that doesn't make this thing so exciting or so so blessed, you know. And so even as we talk about worship our our culture in the West is um is is <clears throat> there's a little bit of, of, of stuff that has crept in uh because we refer to worship as songs that we sing. Um and worship was never designed to just be a couple of songs that we put into a CD player. Uh, put on our Bluetooth, and we say, wow, that worship was great at church. Worship is much more. Uh, Singing is just a very small percentage, probably two percentage of what worship really is. And so we have been created to worship. We saw that in last week, Colossians 1 verse 16 to 18. It says that everything has been made um, for Him and to Him. You know, uh, all things were created through him and for him, verse 17, and he's before all things and in him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. We as creatures, created beings, we have been made to worship the challenge is if you're not going to worship god you may worship another god you may worship yourself you may worship even nature or you may you know become a deep mushroom hunter or a deep you know spiritual thing i remember in china you know then there there was like these group of worshipers um, but they worship trees and they literally walk around the trees for hours then they go like huh, uh. And, and, and there's actually no more grass around the tree, but for hours they worship the trees. And you think like, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but in any case, they, it's, apparently it's very deep, it's rooted. So <clears throat> the definition is worship is our response to what we value the most, the thing that takes the highest priority in my life. For a Christian, it is a response to who God is and what he has done. What do you value the most in your life? Now, now normally we think like, yeah, 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 if I go to India, the four million gods there, oh, there's a lot of gods, you know, but we should ask the question, where does my time, affection, energy, money go to? Where does my thought, what's my heart directed to? Because that's the thing that you will worship. You can worship your work. You can worship your wife. You can worship your husband. You can worship your children. You can worship your future. What is your time, affection, energy, and money go towards? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So worship, in essence, is an issue of the heart. And that's why God is interested in our hearts. You know, if we, um, it's easy for us, and I, I referred to the church in Afghanistan. It's easy for us just to think like, oh, it's so far removed from me. But scripture says, if it's your family, if they suffer, we suffer. If, if there's people running for their lives, being killed, and if, if that doesn't move you, you need to say, okay, God, use my heart. Start to show me, because it's so easy to pray with your head and not your heart. But imagine, voter, you, it's your wife in Afghanistan, and you're sitting here and you're praying for her. How would you pray differently than just some group of people out there? Or PJ, if it's your parents, your wife. How would you pray differently? Because suddenly you engage your heart. And that's, that's when, when we become worshipers, is when we live not out of our head, but out of our heart. Because God begins to stir our hearts for stuff that, that ordinarily as Christians or just as people, we, we shouldn't even really be like involved, you know. Uh, so where, where's your thoughts, your life directed towards? What do you value the most? And that's why fear is such a big motivation of worship of the world. Because fear grips you to be completely focused on something. And that's why when you're anxious, you're afraid of your future, of COVID, of all of these things, it it can really take take you captive to actually become a worshiper of that fear. Did, Did you know that? Fear is a very, very strong motivator. To make people look in a certain direction or to put your trust in something, to direct it to something. So our purpose is to know God and declare His worth. Whatever we worship, we will imitate and whatever we imitate, we will become. You will worship something. And what you worship, you imitate, you give control to that thing in your life. If it is fear, hey, it will grip you. It will torment you eventually it will take complete hold of your life because that thing and that's why we cannot worship people and we cannot worship things because people are imperfect God is perfect and God is selfless meaning that we can worship him because he's not gonna he's not gonna control he's not gonna take something that you and I you know are supposed to not give to anyone else that's why we've been made created to worship God. Can I get an amen? (laughs) That's why, you know, we don't add to God through our worship. The person that changes is you. It's me when we worship God. When we bring our hearts, that's where transformation takes place through the word, through the life, through, through the surrender towards God. So that's our purpose is to declare His praises, to proclaim Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so worship as a lifestyle is so important. Every day, when you go and work there tomorrow, when you change your son's nappies, that's worship. (laughs) No, 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 no. That's just like, you know, that's a curse. (laughs) No, no. Everything we do, we can become a worship. And that's why, you know what the devil wants to steal from us in this time? He wants to steal your joy and your thankfulness. Because the moment when you're not a worshiper, you become critical, you become negative, you always see the wrong. You you always see the glass half empty instead of half full. And, And so the devil wants to steal Christian's joy in this time. And we have a joy that comes from knowing God, not from great breakthrough or prosperity gospel or stuff that happens from the outside. It's because we know him. And so worship has got these two aspects to bow before reverence, to adore, to cast your crown, and to serve. So the first part of worship is come to reverence, something, someone, place value on something, someone, and that's God. But then with that, the the follow-up of that or the outflow of that is that I begin to serve. I serve Him and I serve His people. I begin to serve him for his purposes. So I cannot say I'm a worshiper if I just bow my knee. No, I I need to begin to serve because, again, what you serve, you will worship. And what you worship, you will serve. So they go hand to hand. They go together. And that's why it is so amazing that you are here this morning because, you know, we, we come to say, hey, I'm overcoming the spirit of Duvet, you know. Oh, wow, I could have done 300 other things out there. But I actually come to serve God and I come to serve His people. And so a lot of people are not understanding this. That's why they it's easier for them to stay at home, fall into a comfort zone, and just say like, hey, no, no, you know. That's why 30% of churches in America is busy closing or has already closed. Because it takes three months to create the culture of comfort zones or just complacency are you, are you still with me thank you for your enthusiasm because it's gonna get worse okay fasten your seatbelts we're gonna pick up some speed okay so what is the big problem in the West in the world is the idols of the hot so what what do we do what is what is the stuff that steals our worship is the stuff that we place above our devotion to Jesus. Something or someone that you cannot live without. Something you spend most of your passion, energy on that gives you hope, meaning, identity, and happiness. So when you go to the church in Afghanistan and you see that, yes, people are broken, everyone still says the same thing. We want to serve God, whatever that means. Sure. Even if it costs me my life, He's worthy to be served. The challenge with our culture in the West is we become so comfortable. We have all our nice shoes, all our nice clothes, all our nice stuff. And I said it last week, but you know what? When we went to uh, KZN or when you go to India, suddenly you realize that the church's relationships, the people there are much more deeper involved in each other's lives. Community is much stronger in small towns or in India. And the only reason for that is because there's not a lot to do. Our biggest challenge in Stellenbosch is we've got a lot of money and we've got a lot of things to do. So what we do is we fill our programs every weekend more and more and more. Because, hey, this weekend I'm going to go there. That weekend I'm going to go there. Oh, this I want to go cycle. I want to go do this. I want to fool this. I want to get my bucket list full. <laughs> and that becomes an idol. So what, what happens, and there's not a lot of amens here this morning, but what happens is our relationship with God and with each other becomes superficial. So we think, well, if I drank coffee with PJ this week, then, oh, I've got a deep relationship because at least I ticked. My responsibility towards drinking coffee with him. And, And maybe I'm going to see him next month or three months. But the question is, is our relationship with God growing and with each other deepening around the things of God or not? And then suddenly when you ask the church in the West, we begin to realize, oops, there's a lot of idols and they're huge, but we don't see them. It's called busyness. It's called stuff that we devote our lives to. And I'm not saying... Hey, you're not going to spend 40 hours at work. (laughs) But how is your relationships at work? Do you see that as your mission field? Are you praying for the people at your workplace? Because that's where God wants you to reach out. That's the relationships God wants you to build. So tomorrow morning when you walk into the work, just stop and ask that secretary, how are you doing? Is there something I can pray for you? It's as easy as that. (laughs) Or when you stop at the petrol station, are you just rushing to your next? Meeting or you're asking that person, hey, how's it going in Zimbabwe with your family that's in Zimbabwe and you're yeah, trying to make a living for them? You see how quick it is just to rush past people? And so that's our challenge. Our modern day idols is the gods of beauty, power, money, and achievement. <laughs> and so what we do, we say it like this, and I said it to the students last week, is we say, when I'm in the world, what I do, do you know what I say? I say, I want to become successful. I want to become beautiful. I want to, I want to have a future. Then we come become a Christian, especially in the West. And do you know what we say? Is, I want to become successful for Jesus. I want to become beautiful for Jesus. We just add for Jesus to the sentence normally at the end. And this is a a chance. I'm not speaking down at us. I'm just inviting us to say, hey, maybe maybe when you take a bite of that apple of our our culture and what is challenging us, we need to realize, like, hey, we need a transformation. We need an awakening as the church because COVID is beginning to shine out, bring out a lot of things. (laughs) COVID is beginning to expose a lot of things because now people are not that comfortable anymore. People don't know what the future holds. A lot of things. Thank the Lord for COVID. Thank you, Jesus. Because God is shifting and shaking the church. He's allowing us to come closer and say, are you going to worship me despite what's going on around you? And it's a massive challenge. Why? Because our flesh is so strong. (laughs) We, 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 We are creatures of comfort. We're creatures of going... Down to back to the place where we can control. So, where we can feel happy. I'm sorry, I'm just speaking it straight because I love you too much to just beat around the bush. But sometimes even our desire, our children, our, it's so easy to worship. Oh, I just worship my family. I, you know, as long as they're just happy, then, and then we put our kids at the center of our relationship and not God. And then we wonder why sometimes they don't follow God when they grow older, <laughs> because God was never the center of our homes. we're Christians living in a home, but we're not a Christian home and so god's invitation is can can I feel welcome in your house? Can I feel welcome in your heart can i can i can I begin to show you because when we allow it, when we open up the doors of our hearts, the most amazing thing is going to happen God is going to bring things and do things in our in our homes and in our workplaces that is just so crazy that we just think like wow you know but we need to repent of those idols we need to say God I want I want to put you first with no number two (laughs) and that's a massive challenge because naturally we tend to go to that place you know yesterday I, I took my my son and Um, because he turned 13, so I said, okay, I'm going to take you for a tandem paragliding jump, you know? And a couple of years ago, I did that. I I just, it was the most, one of the most freaky things that I did in my life, because of the, what happened is you jump, you actually get strapped to somebody, and then you have to run 10 meters, and then there's a lift off. you know? Um, So they're on Signal Hill in Cape Town. So somebody... Bought me a ticket a couple of years ago, and I thought like, oh, this is going to be nice, you know. Until I arrived there, and you realize like, whoo, you know, this isn't so easy as it looks. Because what happened is there was a tourist lady that went before me, and this tourist lady be- forgot to run, you know, because you must you must actually run. You, so you so you run with this guy behind you. You strap to him, and then they pull up this thing, and then you go like, there you go, you know. And so. Um, this lady just somewhere forgot to run, and, and, and she got dragged a little bit over the area and into the bush. So now, now that, just, that was just the movie before me, and I'm thinking like, whoo, yeah. You know? And then you normally you ask this guy that you are now trusting yourself to, you know, you are strapping on. The first question everyone asks, like Jürgens also asked yesterday, is like, how many flights have you done? The guy says 8,000 how many accidents have you, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just amazing how you try to, you, 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 you try to solve, do the problem solving, set out this, the course before the time, you, you, you're you like really like checking out, you know, and so now, here you go, and so I, I, I said to my son, okay, you, you can go last, you know, and then uh, I chose the best pilot, you know, for him. And I said, for the other guys that went with, I said, no, no, you can have the second-hand pilots, you know. It's a sacrifice I'm willing to make um, so that my son at least can be be alive, you know. <clears throat> but so, the, the point I'm trying to make is now you have to run. And the stuff that goes through your head before you have this lift-off, you know, it it is just crazy. It is, your heart goes first to your big toe, and then it comes up again. Then it goes into, and then your stomach turns, you just... You go through a adrenaline rush that is just crazy, but you actually have to trust this guy that you are strapped to, and you have the promise of the view up there, but you have no clue, and so here you go, you know. And then <clears throat> the most amazing thing is once you up there and you have a view of Cape Town and all of that stuff, I, I. Three years ago, I think it was three years ago, I prayed, Lord, give me some favor. Because normally you like fly for five minutes. I fly it for 55 minutes. <laughs> but in any case, I enjoyed it very much. But when you're up there, you enjoy it so much, you know, because suddenly you're not afraid when you're up there because the view is huge. You begin to see out of another perspective. But if you're standing here on the ground, you're just strapped to this person, and now he says to you, run, you know, and you think like Run, forest, run, you know, everything goes, there's so much that goes through your mind and your heart and your body responds and you like, you know, you almost want to pass out a little bit, but it's the most crazy, that first just lift off, but isn't it the same in our Christian walk with God, God says, come, strap into me, but, 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 Lord, how many times have you done this? You know, <laughs> you know <laughs> you know, how many accidents have you made, you know? And then you're like, it's it's just it's just what we do as humans, but that trust issue that you're strapped into the will of God, into the things of God, because he wants to show you, but you're gonna need to let go. You're gonna need to surrender, you're gonna need to open up that out of that brokenness, because if you if you're not real there, there can be no worship. If we worship God from our minds, it's always, he's always going to be a distant God. If we worship God as if, and if we pray as if, yeah, God, I'm going to pray the intellectual doctrine to you, there's going to be no power. There's going to be no presence. And so God's invitation for us is, is will you come and worship? And that's what he said in uh, John 4, verse 34. He said to this woman, God is spirit, and those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. You have to worship him for who he is, not for bringing him down to your and my level and then worshiping him from there. We cannot worship a cultural South African, Zulu, Afrikaner, whatever culture. He's, he's, not, he's not interested in our culture. He was counter-cultural. And so the, the challenge is, will you worship him in spirit and in truth? And was in the context of the woman at the well. You know what happened there? This woman said, hey, Jesus, you know, that Jesus, the Messiah, will come. And so she's meeting. She was in adultery. She was coming on her own to get a water, the water from the well. And yes, she meets a Samaritan woman with a Jewish guy, which was impossible. It was very countercultural. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you water. When you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. And then she begins to get all religious with Jesus. Hey, But, you know, we as Samaritans, we have our own temple. We worship in this way, and that's great, and all that stuff. But when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things that we ever did. And then Jesus says, I'm that Messiah. And when the disciples come back, do you know what, what he says? Those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. If you are not willing to be broken before God, if you're not willing to embrace and say, Lord, this is who I am, but I want to know you for who you really are. Not not because I'm strapped here and trying to figure out how life works. I, I need to get up there so that I can see and have a perspective of who you really are. It just changes your whole life. When you stand on the mountain, you know, look how small Stellenbosch is. But if you're driving around here in traffic 2.30 in the afternoon, you're saying, like, oh, I can't get where I need to go. I'm so frustrated, you know. Why your perspective makes the buildings and everything around you very huge until you stand up onto the mountain because you can see. So we cannot worship God without the Spirit. And we cannot worship God without first asking Him, who are you really? The truth. And so that's why Jesus is the center of our worship. Are you, are you still with me? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, where are you going? Nobody's going anywhere, but in any case. So let, let's, let's talk about a, a couple of practical things, and then I'm going to just mention them because how do we start? It always starts, the buck stops with you, stops, stops with me. God says we have to draw near to him. Every other God, every other religion forces itself on you. That's what we see the Taliban is doing. Going from house to house, asking the people, are you a Christian, are you not? They lined up 3,000 people in one of the northern towns two weeks ago, said bow five times to this God. Everyone who didn't bow was taken to the front and shot in the head before everyone else. That's fear. Fear. The powerful thing is God says, you draw first. You knock, you seek. Because I'm not going to force myself on you. So even God hides himself in mysteries, he says. You know, the modern worship language says, no, God, just show us everything. He's he's not. If God tells you not to cast your paws before swine, he's not going to do the same. He says, you have to come up onto the mountain. You have to come to where I am. Draw near and I will draw near to you. Maybe another thing that we can do in our worship is that it becomes a lifestyle. But for it to be a lifestyle means I need to say no to comfort, complacency, consumerism, my culture, compromise. Another thing we spoke about is worship is about surrendering. It's about giving up control. As long as you and I try to control our lives, we cannot be worshippers. Because I'm always going to determine what the bottom line means. But the amazing thing is God says, I'm not going to control you, but I'm going to own you. That's what the word Lord means when I say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. It's the word curious, the one who takes ownership, the one who takes possession. And that's a crazy word because if I say, this cell phone belongs to me, it's my possession, then I can do with it whatever I want to. If you borrow this cell phone to me, it's still your possession. But it takes complete different meaning if I say, you're the owner of the cell phone. So if I give you the cell phone right now and say, this is yours, then you can go and sell it. You can do with it whatever you want to. The question is, can God do with your life whatever he wants to? And that's the big difference between the church in the West and the church in the Middle East. The church in the Middle East is just say, Lord, even if our life must become a sacrifice, may it bring glory to your name. Whew. That's crazy. Give up control. The fourth thing that we spoke about is is to serve. Serve God, serve His people because it's unconditional love. It's it's about discipleship. God is not going to ask you how many times did you come to church. God is not going to ask you how many mission trips did you go on to. God is going to ask you one thing. Do you know me? And have you said yes to my call? And that's to discipleship, to disciple people. And the question is, yes, it starts in your home. You have to disciple your children. But are you discipling your neighborhood? Are you discipling the people around you? Because that was God's greatest commission. It still is. Go and make disciples. Not go and plant great churches that sing nice songs on a Sunday, but there's no transformation of lives. It says, If love is in the essence, if you know that love and if you live obedient lives, you're going to make disciples. And maybe a tough question to ask is, give me five names of people that you are discipling. It says, go and disciple the world. Go and disciple the people at your work. Doesn't mean all of them even need to be saved to start the process of discipling. Jesus discipled the disciples uh, for a long time and then they got saved. (laughs) But are we walking a road, intentional relationship with people that we love and we show them Jesus? We show them who he is. We begin to say, Lord, we want transformation through our lives. We want people's lives to change. And that is the big challenge because, a there's not a lot of people that disciple other people. But it's so easy. It's just like, hey, tell people. I love what Angus says. Tell uh, I'm just a hungry beggar showing another hungry beggar where to find bread. Hey, this is where Jesus is. I've taken one step. Come with me. Come. <laughs> but we get very busy. And we get busy about the wrong stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that maybe is a bit controversial. But if I have to listen to one more vaccine, anti-vaccine vaccine This thing, that thing, I've received hate mail from people in the church about vaccine and not vaccine. And all I'm asking that person is, will you be so passionate about your relationship with Jesus and about the gospel? You're missing the point. If that, you're spending hours and hours on stuff that is not the main thing. People are fighting about it. People are like splitting churches. People are just going crazy about stuff that you think like, hey, it's fine, you can do that, but are you also just as passionate about your relationship with Jesus? Are you just as passionate about praying? Are you just about, you know, because otherwise you're even making the idol of your arguments. <laughs> Woo, is that a bit tough? <laughs> but it's crazy how the devil can make us to let the minor things become the major things in our lives. And then we lose focus. We lose the joy of our salvation because we get so tense about being right or being wrong that we call judgment on other people, but we also call judgment uh, on a relationship with God because we lose that joy. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying don't be strong on what you believe, but hey, just let the gospel be first. Let Be more excited to talk about your testimonies in Christ than trying to gospelize and vaccinize the people into whatever, you know? And do great research and pray about it. I'm not, I, I say but let's have our main thing, our main thing. I've seen a couple of churches split because of these things. Sure. Let discipleship be our key. The last two things, are you still with me? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Okay, great stuff, you know. If we want to be worshipers, it's connected to our hunger for God, our passion for God. Two things that really stand out. If you want to see God, you need to be hungry and you need to be humble. <laughs> Humility, teachable. Never think that you've arrived. Never think like, hey, I'm a professional Christian because I have been in church. You know, I've been here 20 years. You know, what else can you tell me and whatever. And I see it when people lose their focus. You know, the other day a guy came to me in church. He was the closest to me kicking somebody out of the church. He said, you you know. I'm getting a bit bored because every Sunday people get prayed for in church. They get, you know, people that are broken and oh, you know, some respond to the gospel and get born again. But you know, um, I just I, I just feel I don't grow in the church anymore, you know, because we don't preach through all the books of the Bible and since when is church supposed to be your Bible study? Is this your thirty minutes psych up injection for the week? Yeah. You're supposed to do Bible study at home. <laughs> But if you and I can't get excited about somebody that gets saved, we're in trouble. We've lost our eternal focus. When we get so deep into our doctrines, our deep stuff, our intellectual pursuits, there's nothing wrong with that. But let's not focus on the wrong stuff. So a couple of weeks ago, I asked the Lord, Lord, please tell me how you feel about the church in Afghanistan and that you know, I haven't slept for four nights in a row this week. Because suddenly when you begin to open up your heart to what is really on God's heart, He begins to stir things inside of you where you feel completely out of your wits. Where sometimes the burden becomes so great that it just seems like, Lord, this is overwhelming me. But maybe if we sometimes just ask, Lord, what is on your heart today? I'm going to be very honest. Maybe it's not our next breakthrough or our next big interest or our next tick off on the box. Maybe it is about those families that's running for their lives. Half of them in the mountains. Children hiding in the mountains. They have nowhere to go. And most of them will die in the next two weeks. If the church doesn't pray. But you know, Pastor, I'm not really involved, but maybe we must ask God, what's on your heart? We pray a scary prayer. We say, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Are we willing to serve him as to his interest, not our own? Isn't that what Philippians 2 says, that the greatest act of humility was... When he made himself of no reputation. And he says, hey, leave the selfish ambition. Leave the stuff in your heart and put other people's interests above your own. Some translation says, esteem others higher than yourself. So the question this morning, and it's an invitation. What's that idol in your heart and my heart? How are we getting distracted again as the church? And maybe... We must stop praying that COVID will go away because many people think in this moment, say, oh, if COVID goes, when COVID goes away, then life is going to go back to normal. What if COVID goes on for 12 years? How's the church going to look different? Or are we worshippers, despite what happens around us? There's a sifting in the church. It's a major sifting, but especially in the West. The Middle East has been there for years. They're counting the cost. It's getting tougher in China and India than ever before to follow God. There's anti-conversion laws. Most people are being imprisoned in China, in Nepal, Pakistan. Do you know that 70% of the church is being persecuted for their faith in the world right now? And unfortunately, it's beginning to close up on the church in the West. Our persecution may look different, but the devil wants us to be silent. The devil wants us to stop worshiping. The devil wants to steal your joy. That's what he wants to do. And we need to say, God, cleanse us from idols. Cleanse us from this stuff. Increase our hunger as we humble ourselves before you. Break my heart for what breaks yours. And suddenly God begins to show you stuff. Suddenly God begins to show you the broken people out there. And you begin to realize that he actually wants you to serve them. (laughs) Pray for them. (laughs) See how God's hand begins to be stretched out and God heals and delivers people. Will you stand with me this morning? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.